0: Welcome to the Rev Thinking Podcast. It's Thursday, September 15th. I'm Joel, and today Tim Thompson and I discuss examples of why small studios struggle. Welcome to Rev Thinking. Rev Think leverages years of experience and practical wisdom to help owners of top creative studios. So you don't have to choose between following your passion and running your business. Your hosts
1: are Joel Pilger and Tim Thompson.
0: Thank you, Jane for that ever-lovely introduction. Hey, I'm Joel, and yes, today, Tim and I are back in the saddle on the podcast after taking a few weeks off talking about examples of why small studios struggle, which comes out of an article that I wrote by the same name. Um, I, I get asked questions all the time, and Tim does as well as consultants in the industry. We get asked by small studios uh, things like, Should I hire a salesperson? Should I get a new office? Should I up my revenue with more projects? And surprisingly, the answer is no. Now, that, of course, got quite the reaction. Well, instead, what I recommend are small studios putting two habits into practice. And those two habits are the three R's and the splits. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Tim and I have walked through those and how it works and give you some examples. And then towards the end of the podcast, we end with a quick overview of a brand new conference being announced. It's the Promax BDA Creative Entrepreneurs Conference on Sales. It's happening uh, October 28th in Los Angeles. So you'll have to listen in to the end to catch those details, but I recommend you check it out, and we look forward to seeing you there. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey, Joel. It's good to be back with you doing a podcast.
0: Likewise. It's good to be back. I guess the summer was... um, we took a little break, but happy to be podcasting again.
1: Yeah, for sure. And even though you and I haven't done podcasts together, I listened to the one you did following up on the article, Why Small Studios Struggle. And it's gotten a lot of reaction from our listeners as well as our readers.
0: Yeah, I guess it's, you know, maybe a, just a topic that... um I think everyone can relate to because even if you're running a successful studio that, you know, is killing it, you remember those days, you know, when you struggled. And of course, uh, the rest of the world that is a small studio, they, they know they're probably living it right now.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things I liked about that article is that you asked those three questions. Should I hire a salesperson? Should I lease an office space? Should I get more projects? And then you said, the answer to that question is no. Um, I think it's so interesting that it, it, those are the first three questions or and directions that we go to while running a small studio. We think that a salesperson or an office space, you know, when I and the office space, I always say we have that "if you build it, they will come" mentality, um, or even just taking on more projects is the answer. And what you know, after doing this for years now, is the answer to the struggle is not those three questions.
0: Yeah, I think it flows from, there's a bias maybe as Americans that we have that we think um, bigger is always better. You know, growth is always good. Um, But I I think the point I made that counters that is that if you grow your business without implementing good habits, you're just gonna grow your problems as you grow your business. So there's a smarter way to do it.
1: That's right, and that's, we talk about that in the seasons of creative firms. Um, that each season itself has its own benefits and struggles. And you're going to have to want to get into those same struggles if you want those same benefits. But the small studio really is is one that it always feels like you're behind the eight ball. Um, it feels like you can never get ahead sometimes or everyone else gets the work and you don't get, get any of it.
0: Yeah, there's, I think what I find is, and I hear people that run small studios talk about this, that there are certain habits that those owners develop that enable them to launch their studio and start gaining some traction and for them to reach the next season in their firm, they actually have to let go of those habits and embrace new ones. But that's very scary because you're like, well, wait, this is, this is what I've been doing that got me to the point I'm at right now. You're telling me that I need to now stop doing these things and, and, The answer is yes.
1: You're almost starting your own seven habits of highly effective studios. (laughs) Right. uh, The first two habits already developed in these articles. So it's great.
0: Yeah, well, I think it'd be interesting to talk about if there's actually some specific examples that we can share.
1: Oh yeah, even the one you just shared with me recently about that studio a couple of years ago that you taught them the three R's.
0: Yeah, the, there was a there's an owner that I spoke with um, a couple of years ago, and we had a really you know casual conversation. and He was asking me for um, advice on how to to run his studio. He was going through some transitions, and one of the concepts that I argued that he should seriously implement is this thing we call the three R's. And for those that don't know the concept, it's really simply that whenever you accept a project, that you run it through a filter before you say yes to the client that, yes, we're going to do this spot or this promo or what have you. And the three R's are real, relationship, and reward. And so what those look like in practice is, okay, is this project going to grow our real? Is it going to increase our portfolio and our reputation? Um relationship is will this project increase repeat business from this client is this someone that we want to you know strengthen the relationship with and the last one is simply reward will this project make money will we be able to create profits with this project and the basic concept is if a project hits on all three of those Rs then grab it you know do whatever you have to do to to win it if it only hits on two take a pause and ask yourself why are we taking this if it only hits on one of those r's then be very careful before accepting it because those usually go badly and if it doesn't hit on any of the r's i like to joke and say there's a fourth r which is run <laughs> so if it doesn't yeah, right. if it doesn't hit on any of those three then get just why in the world would you accept that project
1: yeah and and i think sometimes we struggle with the idea of cash flow as a company thinking every dollar in house is a good dollar but the 3 r's is a really good habits to start developing of making business decisions in order to run your business remembering that all businesses buy low and sell high there are principles of business that you must take into account as you make business decisions
0: yeah i find so many small studio owners i can like i can picture their faces in my mind right now that they you know they really take any project that comes their way because they just can't help it that's how they have been running their business. That's what success looks like to them at this you know point in their career. But that those actually are some bad uh, habits to develop because just taking everything that comes your way, like you said, doesn't necessarily move your your studio forward. It doesn't necessarily build the relationships that you want to build. So I think implementing this habit seems very counterintuitive. Uh, and it goes against our, you know, our, I think our our fears and our human nature, which says, well, if somebody's handing me a project, I got to take it. But my argument is, no, there's, you know, the next season of your studio depends upon you applying this filter and uh, just taking the type of work that supports your business and the next season that you're trying to get
1: to. Do you think you would agree with me that... The, really, the idea of the first one, real, is the biggest struggle in a creative firm because when an opportunity comes knocking at the door, and especially if it's a big client or a name brand, it feels like that will move your company forward. And it's a really hard decision to walk away from a project that will only increase your real and not develop a relationship or not give The profits you need to.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's probably the biggest temptation, I think, especially for motion design studios in particular, because guys that, and girls that run those kinds of shops, they're so inspired and motivated to create beauty and design and, you know, those types of projects. So when they see, oh, this is a, you know, a Nike spot or a Coke, you know, thing or a promo for MTV, it's like, oh my God, it's so sexy. We have to take this But the truth is a lot of those companies out there take advantage of studios like that because they know they can, you know, use the power of their brand to beat them up on price and they're not going to bring repeat business back. So it's ultimately it can be a lose. Um, even though it feels like what well, we're building up our real, well, you really need to be building up more than just the real.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, sales is a confidence game and uh, design is a confidence game. So I know it feels good to have some big brands and big projects on a reel. So when you go into the next meeting, you have that confidence and that ability to put something of good showmanship out there. Um, Just showing that your, your company can handle large projects, get the job done and be that sexy. Yeah, of course. Of
0: course. Yeah. We're not, uh, we're not proposing that people turn away, uh, high profile work. Not at all. It's, it's, it's really just saying high profile work is just one of the r's that we we yeah. recommend that you make sure that you're hitting on at least one or hopefully two more you know I, and here's an example that i'll give the the story i was saying earlier about the studio owner that i talked to a couple of years ago he circled back with me just recently and said wow implementing the 3 r's was Huge. It made a really big difference at my business. And I asked him, well, how so? And the story he told was so interesting because he said, well, more more than anything, one year we were doing about 250 some odd projects in a given year. The next year we applied the three R's and started filtering and really taking the kind of work that we knew was a good fit for us. We only did 50 projects, but here's the trick. They made more money. Like how in the world... How in the world is that possible, right? That sounds completely counterintuitive that, wait, we're going to turn away work and only take the kind of work we want, but we may end up making more money. So that's what I would really challenge uh, our audience out there to think about.
1: Yeah, and it just goes back to Many of the conversations we've had with our clients, clients, the agency um, and broadcast um, marketing people that hire the motion design and, and production studios that we talk to every day. And they have told us over and over again, when you distinguish yourself from your competitors, they know which projects to approach you with. And I think implementing the three R's really starts narrowing down that field of your specialty. And then the clients will start recognizing what your specialty is and will think of you when those opportunities come.
0: Yeah, it's funny because you're right. It's almost like a um, it's a strategic byproduct, I think, of implementing the three R's where, say, your client, if it's a TV network, as an example, you want them to think of you as a specialist, as an expert to know you based on your unique personality. Because when a project comes on their radar, you don't want them to look at your creative firm and ask the question, why would I call these guys? Like, what is it that they do? What is their thing? What's their sweet spot? What's their strength? Instead, you want them to say, this need is arising and this need is, oh my gosh, I need my crazy, brilliant, you know, wild idea firm, or no, I need my firm that can pull off a miracle um, because I don't have much time or much money, whatever that thing is, you want them to immediately go, oh, I'm going to call studio so-and-so. So yeah, you're right. In a way, implementing the three R's is a roundabout way that you're going to create more clarity in the marketplace with clients out there that they're, they're going to know that you specialize and they're going to think of you when those sure. needs arise.
1: But what you and I also know in running a small studio that bringing in projects, even if the projects meet all three R's, doesn't solve all the problems for for the company.
0: No, that's right. Because right. bringing in more projects is. Good, especially if they fit the three R's. That's going to move you forward. But I think the challenge is: what do you do with the money? What do you do with the budgets? Right? Because young firms, I think, treat the money uh, less responsibly than their uh, older, wiser uh, colleagues out there. And I, you speak to this all the time that you know, small studios get started by doing projects and they do another project, they do another project, but that does not a business make.
1: You know, that's obviously leading us into the second habit, the split the money. And that's probably one of the more difficult habits to develop because you have to understand where all the money's going to begin with. Um, And what you and I like to do is sit down with our clients and talk about their needs as a company and then making sure the money that comes in the door from all the projects they're doing meet the project needs as well as all the company needs. And that's what we call the splits, splitting the money up to meet both needs, the company and the project.
0: Yeah. In those early years of a studio, they are, they're so project focused, right? That, you know, they, when they get a $50,000, you know, award, they just immediately think, okay, this is a $50,000 project. So we're going to spend all this money on the project. And then they start. You know, of course, trying to manage it so there's a little bit left over so they can pay themselves a salary and maybe afford a, a new render farm or whatever the case might be. But as the business grows and matures, those business needs actually become just as important as the project needs.
1: Absolutely. So we work for small studios all the time and they approach you, uh, they've been approaching you with this article. Uh, what's some of the feedback that you've been getting specifically about? these two habits and maybe some specific results that come from, um, those companies we've worked with over the last couple of years that, um, have seen results from these two habits.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I, one pops to mind right now. It's a, it's a motion design studio that, um, we started working together at just the beginning of this year. And it's been really interesting to see how these habits as they've adopted them have played out because I would say, Uh, first of all, as far as the three R's are concerned, that um, the guys running this studio, they wanted to make a concerted move to go into uh, network television or do broadcast work for TV networks. And so that became one of their three R's, right? Does this, is is this going to build our reel in terms of, you know, is this a network TV promo rebrand, what have you? Well, that was a big shift for them and it took you know a very deliberate amount of strategizing and planning to get them to the point now where they are I guess six months later uh, pitching on their first big show launch for um, actually one of the Disney networks which is incredibly exciting and um, it's not even a competitive pitch so um, it looks like the project is theirs in terms of splitting the money That's also been a really healthy discipline because we are now, uh, as projects come in the door, we're able to set aside the money for each project that it takes to really run the business. And really, what that looks like is it just means the owners of the studio are now taking consistent salaries. You know, we're paying consistent quarterly distributions, but we're also just allocating money to all of these different areas that it takes to support the business, sales and marketing, and then operations things like, you know, paying our lease and, and all of our other obligations. And the, the business is ultimately just becoming, I think, more stable and more sustainable. And that just, that puts the studio in a position to, um, I think reach further and go farther, like, okay, great, now that we've created stability, what next? And those, those things that are next are pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, and in my experience, some of the ability of creating splits is be able to put money aside to deal with projects. Projects that a company can develop all on their own, a specific uh, pet project they want to do. Or honestly, that when that third R, reward, isn't going to come in the door, they have money set aside that they could take on a project that would uh, help develop the real, help develop a relationship, and pay off in the long run by making an investment in a project and having funds set aside. So that splits does create a healthy balance, and the two habits work side by side in that way. And I'll bet you, like I, could think through a couple of examples where a company has the first habit or the second habit in place um, and they still struggle, but if they get both of those habits going as a smaller studio, they'll start creating a good foundation, a good base to have their company grow.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think anytime a studio gets an opportunity to pitch, that's a great example, right? Because sometimes a pitch, especially for a really big six figure project that might be a rebrand or a national spot or something, that's a really big investment where, you know, you might get a small pitch fee of a few thousand dollars, but you might have to invest 10 or 20, dollars um, of employee time and travel and what have you, um, to win that project. But when you have those habits of the three hours in place, and you're splitting the money, we can allocate, Money you know you and I call them calculated losses as as one example that we know we're not going to win every pitch, but at least having that money set aside in advance, it makes that decision of jumping into a pitch much less worrisome because you've you know you've got the money like this is something that we do, we know we win three out of four of these, we can afford it i mean that's power that really gives you you know. A, a confidence level to jump into those type of projects that really move your studio forward.
1: And that that's a great segue to to discuss what we're doing with ProMax BDA and launching their Creative Entrepreneurs Conference.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because the conference that we're doing later in October is all about sales, which I love because sales is that hot button right like who doesn't want more sales better sales you know i mean everybody fits that description um but it is a great example of um how promax bda is stepping up to help those agency owners you know running motion design studios running production companies to help them run their businesses better um in addition to all the other support that they bring as an association
1: Right. Sales is one of the seven ingredients of a creative firm that we at RevThink put together. Um, and I like starting with sales as one of the seven ingredients that we have to deal with because truly getting the opportunities in the door has got to be one of the greatest struggles for a business. Uh, we've talked about the habit of just of choosing the projects um, using the three R's. But sales as a plan, as a system, um, is a good place to get started with creating to create those opportunities.
0: Well, yeah. And I'll, I'll just ask you this question. Have we ever worked with any one of our clients, a studio or production company that hasn't needed to up their sales game? Like it's no, just no, so, right. it's so, it's so common. It just
1: goes with the territory, um, that sales is hard. Yeah. Sales is hard. And This last uh, conference in June uh, that we went to in New York City, it was really interesting to do the Catalyst uh, event with Promax and meet the sales teams from small companies as well as large companies during those five days because the same questions would come from a company that was less than a million dollars and a person I spoke to for probably two and a half hours that was dealing with a $15 million sales need. Um, Both of them had the similar needs and similar ways of processing those concerns no matter what the scale is
0: yeah I'm always amazed how much sales is I think a sort of a dark art, right like there are people that are really good at sales, but a lot of them don't even know why like they just you know they can go out and get deals and so forth um, and then there's other studios that know that they're not great at sales you know it's just an obvious uh, pain point for them. but I think the the hope and the excitement is that once you learn, sales is a system. That there is a way to lead your clients through the sales process rather than just reacting or trying to be, you know, a nice servant and serve their needs. Um, that there are strategies to, you know, extract their budgets and to charge more and to upsell. I mean, those kinds of things. That's really powerful.
1: So this conference is happening. On October 28th, 2016, it's at Terranea Resort in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. Uh, Promax BDA is doing this in partnership with us. Um, So those who want to register could go to our website, revthink.com slash revthinking, and follow the link to the Creative Entrepreneurs Conference, or go to promaxbda.org and follow the link to Creative Entrepreneurs Conference on their site as well. Uh, There is a cost to it.
0: Yeah, it's a $550 uh, cost for the day, which I think includes lunch. And there's also a networking reception uh, thing we're going to do at sunset, which I'm excited about because I love the Pacific Ocean. And I know that that resort is going to be absolutely beautiful. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a great day. And I think um, what people should also know is we're we fully intend to give uh give people the tools they need so that they can actually walk away with a plan like we're going to build a practical plan for your agency for your studio like let's diagnose your sales process and let's design what should it look like you know in light of the creative firm sales cycle as we call it and then let's build a sales pipeline how do you implement that and then how do you negotiate what about closing i mean there's a lot of tactics and stuff that i'm sure we'll get into but it's, it's going to be cool. And I know everyone that attends, they're going to walk away with like, oh my gosh, I'm going to start doing these three, four, five things right away. And they're going to see uh, results. So that, that's what I, I get excited about.
1: And then besides you and I, we are going to be joined by a few special guests um, that will be able to tell us from their own experience, their sales cycle, their sales routine, um, and even give us some insights on tactics and negotiations that they have done. Um, really just a, a boost and some confidence that um, if you had specific questions and we're looking for people with experience, we could create that network for you. And that's some of the opportunity of of the lunch, as well as the Sunset Network reception is to continue the conversation and encourage one another um, in this small group. This has been really great, Joel. I'm glad we got to talk about this and it's really good to catch up with you again, doing a podcast. Um, what other resources do we have available that if people are interested, they could follow-up?
0: Well, we have a podcast, um, which uh, obviously everyone knows about already. But yeah, I would encourage people to go to RevThink.com. If you go to the Rev Thinking blog, you're going to find all kinds of cool articles um, and examples, quotes. I mean, there's just a lot of great stuff there um, and links that will take you to good
1: resources. We're also on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Twitter. And all those links are available at our website, RevThink.com. Thanks again, Joel. It's been uh, good to catch up with you. Likewise, Tim. Always fun. Look forward to our, uh, our next episode. Yeah, I think the next time we see each other will be Denver. So I look forward to seeing you face-to-face and doing our next episode.
0: Sounds great. See you then.
1: Thanks for listening to Rev Thinking.
0: For more insights on running your creative studio or to ask us a question, visit RevThink.com.
1: I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends. And it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today. RevThink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at RevThink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.